Welcome to Big Thinkers, Big Ideas. I'm Dr. Carla O'Dell, CEO of APQC, and in this series, I get to interview some of the most interesting people in the world. And today is no exception. I'm going to be talking to Lewis Richardson, who's the IBM Worldwide Storyteller and Enthusiast, enthusiast who covers, quote unquote, smart, social, smarter work. And we'll ask Lewis what that means in a minute. But in this role, what Lewis gets to do is he meets with executives who want to understand how they can leverage social software in their organizations and get some uh, business impact from that. And as all of you know who are listening to this, the 10 or 12 years ago when APQC did a research project called Emerging Technologies, social and social networking was just, it was the Facebook version of that was about all there was. And anything enterprise-oriented was a sort of a gleam in developer's eye. But now it is pervasive. So it's going to be fun to talk to you about that, Lewis. Let's start out by just saying first, welcome. And, uh, Thank you. You know, it's wonderful to have you here. And give me a sense of what, what does social smarter work mean? I figure you didn't want to say smarter social work. Well, well, it actually, you know, we at IBM obviously can put lots of words together to mean a lot of things. And uh, what social smarter work is basically uh, uh, helping people uh, free themselves up from the confi- confines of the day and, and, and help them to be better, feel better about what they're doing, work smarter, uh, work in a faster way. Uh, but it's, it's more than just efficiency. It's, it's about working in totally different ways. Uh, to get the, a bit bigger and better business outcomes. Um, so it's not about incremental improvements. It's about adjusting the culture of the way you work. Um, so that's, that's what we, t- we, we stress for here. It's not so much about technology. It's about changing people's behavior and their culture. Yeah. So what do you see as these big shifts, these things that are going to be, you know, not just a uh, smooth line but a real discontinuity? What's up? Yeah, I, I you know, I was, I've been in, in document management and publishing areas now for probably three decades, so that ages me a bit. And, um, um, you know, for so long, we recognized that the knowledge that people made available through printed matter and, and through electronic means, you know, we, we, had to, we had to try to manage that. And, um, the, you know, the best we could hope for in many cases was just, you know, good repositories or if, at best one repository within locations, which we've never been able to do. And then, you know, federation and search tools and all kinds of different things in order to, to get to that content. Um, what's happened is because content is so prevalent and authorship is so rampant, everyone's an author and everyone has the rights to author and to, and to put their ideas out there, you know, the, the, you know the, all the statistics about the rise in content just shows, shows us quickly it's overwhelming. So the change, the big change that I see right now is that we are, we're needing to shift from the idea of looking at content in, in, say, the container model of where do we put it and how do we store it and how do we manage it and begin looking more at the creation, less at the creator and more at the creation and beginning to look at a more people-centric views of doing that. So, so who are the individuals? What did they create? How do they work together? That type of thing. So now we're looking at um, that information flow as one that's very people-centric rather than one that is, that is so content-centric. But in doing so, uh, we're finding the content becomes very much uh, much more available and much easier to access. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So, so you know, if you, if you think about in normal business today, people, first of all, the, the, one of the cultural shifts is 
know, people have the idea that when I create something, um, let's say you create a document and you go to store it somewhere, you think it has value to someone or some people. And as an author, you we tend to look at this and go, now, well, why should I share this? The question that comes to mind is, why should I share this? And then when we figure out, well, we should share it, then we start figuring at the at a finite level, who should I share this with? And so we put it in a in a folder and in some structure and in some place that we've kind of defined. Well, this is important to sales, so I'll put it over here in the sales repository where the salespeople can get to it. And we have that very containerized thinking point. Whereas if you change that to say, why shouldn't I share this? What keeps me from making this available to everyone? As a salesperson, I create this thing, and I and I think it's only interesting to salespeople, but what if someone in marketing wanted to see that or somebody in engineering? Is there anything about it that would not make it inter- – you know, not make it – why should it make it available to them? And so that's the change in the shift of the, of, this, of the way we think. So what we're encouraging people to do is to be more open to sharing. And then by doing so, now you have – the ability to find things that you that you previously didn't have access to, or you're able to discover things, and and from a from a relative content content standpoint, you think, oh my God, it's going to just be just tons and tons of information that's available to me. But the way we've wound that back now to being people centric is, um, we we go off the statement that about 70% of what a company knows is in people's heads, okay. And only about 30% actually gets into some form that can be managed electronically. And so still a lot of the information is in people's heads. So if we connect people to people, then you have access to a lot of information. And if, and if I know who an expert is, um, then it's, chances are that expert will have written something or have something of value. Um, and so instead of looking at the content, I also often look for the person who has the expertise, and then I'm able to find the content. Um, Occasionally, I'll find content, and I'll look, to, I'll look to see who the author is, or who liked it, or who commented on it, who made an intelligent comment, and that may like that may lead me to another person who leads me to more content and so forth. So it's a it's a multifaceted way to get the information rather than kind of the linear content model we've always used. Right. So would that mean that when I did a search for something, and instead of serving up documents first, it might serve up people? How would that How would that look to me? Yeah. Yeah, so so the way the way we do this with the systems that we have at IBM and the ones that we we, we sell, um, it actually you you do searches and it looks across the entire corpus of what your company knows. So if you search for something like a sales forecast, let's say, um, it would bring back results across uh, files, which is our content stores, um, across blogs and wikis and status updates, which are microblogs where people post. Um, it'll find people who have attributes like sales and forecasting or people who've been tagged because now we can tag people just like we tag content. We can tag people with certain knowledge elements. And so it brings back a list of all those things, and then you can decide, well, am I really looking for a file or am I looking for a person? So you can kind of then kind of refine your search down to the level that you want to refine it to. Um, but the, the idea is it doesn't matter where you put it. When you start doing searching, you can find those things, and most often we've found that people get a great deal of value by going to the person who matches those attributes, and then from that, being able to branch out to find their files and their communities and their interest groups and forums and other things that may have the information they're looking for. So interesting. I've been saying, since I've been studying cognitive computing the last few months, that for the first time we may actually get a breakthrough in expertise location in organizations yeah. because it's been yeah. out for about a decade. 
you know, there have been um, early adopters who knew that you needed to search people's emails and look at their patterns of behavior with each other and visualize that. I think even IBM had some visualization software for that uh, where you can mm -hmm. see the degrees of separation and who knew whom, and I think you still do. But the idea, yep. you know, that we could hook each other up in a way that was pretty meaningful um, may actually be on the horizon. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, it's 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 here. <laughs> we we use it on a daily basis. That's one of the reasons my title contains the word enthusiast, because it's here and it changes the way you work. It changes the way I've worked and and the and the amount of work I can get done. Um, the 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 advantage being that um, as as we look, you know, as as we look at where does information lie and. Um, being able to, to understand who experts are. In the past, expertise has, has in many ways almost been a self-proclamation thing. You know, experts you know, have fancy titles or experts have credentials that are authorized or experts have some recognition. Um, we actually have within the body of our system, underneath all of what we're doing, there's analytics that's running, and it's watching the way people work and understanding the way people behave. Uh, within IBM, we have what's called a, a, a personal social dashboard. Um, now, that's very much attuned to things like our clout score for the Internet, except this is a dashboard that, that we see that reflects to our business within IBM. Uh, the way we've designed it, only the individual can see it. So only I can see my dashboard. My boss doesn't see it. The managers don't see it. There's nobody who looks at it and measures us on it. But what it does is it actually begins to show me scores like my activity level. Am I am I an active contributor or am I an active consumer? It tells me things like eminence. Who's eminent within the company? And eminence is hard to define, but if you watch the way people work, you can discover, you know, if a person posts a lot, that doesn't mean they're eminent. But if they post and when they post, people respond, people read, people like it, people comment on it. Uh, maybe even people you know disagree with it, but it it starts a starts a discussion then that could actually give you a level of understanding as that person as to whether they're a thought leader or somebody of eminence, somebody who might be a good, uh, a good prospect to look at, say, let's, make, let's get more of these people. Let's find that, how this person is working and understand that. And so we have these, the scoring technique that we can use. And then what that actually does is within the system now, when I go to search for something, when I just do a normal search on a daily basis, I have – first of all, declared a network of people. So very much like on LinkedIn or Facebook or other things where you ask people to join your network and be your friend. Within our system, we find the credible knowledge workers and say, can you please join my network? I'd love to have you in my network. And when you do that, they then take a priority so that when you search for things, things that they have created, things that they have liked, things that they have commented on, those things have priority over other things because you've already identified this person, I believe, has some, you know, has some credentials or credibility I want to, to, to leverage. So now I'm starting to pick the, my friends. I'm picking who my knowledge workers are um, so that now when I search, things are weighted that way. And the people like that who have eminence, the people like that who have been identified by the system as having a certain credentials, their stuff rises even further to the top. So we're just watching the way people work allowing them to build those friendships. Uh, we, we, at IBM, we say we store our knowledge in our friends. So that's where we store our stuff. Yeah. That's a great phrase. And, uh, what yeah. matters is how smart we are. Yeah, I, I, I have the privilege of working a lot with HR people, and HR 
executives now are beginning to tell me that any one of us, your value to the company is not just what you know, but it's who you know and what they know as well, because that's information we have readily accessible to us. That's right. You know, I haven't thought before about the personal social dashboard idea, but given this rising comfort that everybody has with what is called the quantified self, you know, wearing a mm-hmm. Fitbit, wearing a not, you know, something telling you how you're sleeping, keeping records of your own behavior, which I'd like to circle back to in a second, means that sure. if this is private, that then allows – it's going to play into that desire to get my own scores up. So that's very interesting. I think it makes us more helpful to other people maybe. Yeah. I, it's, it's good for us. Um, we've, we've talked to other companies who said, well, we'd like to have that same technology. We'd like to use it in our talent management and other areas. And, and you can do that. We at IBM have decided not to do that uh, and, and just let our individuals use it for the purposes that you're being used now, which is you're able to look. Um, now, now, granted, we, our, our leadership, uh, our executive level people, um, they actually share their scores with one another because they compete. And we like that. We like for them to compete because that gets them active. And they, they stare across the table at each other and go, you know, I'm a 58, what are you, and that kind of thing. So that's fine for them. Down at our level, what it does, it allows me to actually look at the score and give me an indication of how am I participating. Mm-hmm. And it's not that everyone should be a, a high-level contributor, um, but, but there's nothing that stops me from spending time wisely consuming. In other words, if I go out and I find something that's interesting, and I, I download it or I preview it, and it has the information that I want in it, it's just a little bit extra effort for me to go and click, I like this, or to go back and say, I really liked what you did on this page or what you did here, and this was very helpful to me. And that little bit of like and contribution back, feedback back to the contributor, raises my score just a, just a very little bit because now I'm participating more than just consuming. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to teach people, even if you're not a contributor of content itself, you could be a skilled consumer and help the body of knowledge become better because of your opinion, because of your ideas and what you think. And a lot of people put us off the side and say, well, you're a techie and it's just natural that this happens. Um, we have been doing it longer than anyone else. You mentioned, Joe, say 10 years ago, this is kind of a gleam in people's eyes. We were actually starting to work this way at that time uh, with some internal projects that we were doing. So we've had a longer time doing it. So I would say that in most cases, we're probably ahead of others. But there have been a number of our customers and people that we've worked with who have taken on this adoption and adopted the social business culture, and it's totally changed the way they work and the way their employees behave, and they're non-technical companies. They're in the financial industry or a manufacturing company, those types of things, um, because uh, especially those companies, and, and I, you know, I want to say those companies that are growing quickly and those companies that are bringing on maybe, maybe new employees or younger employees, they find this is just a natural fit to the way we as humans want to behave. And so the adoption is very much quicker for them than, than maybe some of the old, more senior, you know, mature companies. And, and IBM actually fits into that category. We've, it's taken us a while to, to, to change, and we're still, we're still in the process of changing. It's still a journey for us. Can you describe what that social business culture looks like? What is what are some attributes of that culture? It was transparency, first of all, because um, we recognize that everyone has an opinion, and your opinion is worth something. Um, you're, you know, if someone posts something, 
you have the right to say to disagree with it. If you if you feel like it's something that's, that that you want to disagree with, you can do that. We we recognize that. We welcome that kind of interaction. Um, we have governance and guidelines around how you behave, but the behavior is similar to anything you'd have in a company with as far as an email system or whatever. You can't be rude and you can't be obnoxious and those types of things. Um, but we, we kindly accept each other's viewpoint. So transparency is a, is a big point of this. Um, it's very it's very engaging. The, the people that that adopt this way of, of working find themselves reaching beyond the boundaries of you know of, of their of their tight circle. Um, when you instead of sending an email to someone, you go post something on their profile page, which we often do. So we we cut down on the number of emails we send. Because instead of sending an email to my manager, for instance, I would just go to his profile page and ask the question if it's not a private thing, right? Mm. And so I asked the question there. Well, other people can see that question. They can answer it if they want, if they think they have an answer. He can come back and confirm their answer is correct or you know, um, add his comments to it or whatever. But it becomes more of a discussion area rather than just a, a transactional conversation, which email is good for. So it becomes a much more open um, an engaged way of working. Um, so instead of coming in every morning and popping open your email and saying, now I have to process my email, I just have to go through my inbox and get rid of all the stuff I get to get rid of and do the things I have to do. We now, I'm not going to say look forward to, but I actually do. I, I mean, I look forward to looking at my profile page and looking at my status updates and say, what are people talking about? What's interesting today? And what are people working on? And knowing that those conversations are happening you know, while I'm sleeping over in Europe, and I get to kind of join the conversation in the middle of the morning when I come in. And so it's, it's transparent, it's engaged. And then um, I, I, I don't know, I, I would, I would say creative It's very innovative because people, people tend when you, when you actually see people helping one another, when you get a, a, an impact from having helped someone, um, um, there's a, there's a, a Simon Sinek has a, a YouTube video and actually a book called, I think it's a book, but it's why leaders eat last. Mm-hmm. And in it, he talks about he talks about the chemical process that goes in people's brains when things happen. So, like, you know, dopamine, you know, gets you get things done when you do dopamine. It's kind of a when you get a list checking off, you kind of get a dopamine hit. And there's a thing called oxytocin, which when you when you see when you do kindness for someone else, you get a little hit of oxytocin, and the person to whom you did that kindness, they get a little hit of oxytocin. And anyone observing that gets a little hit of oxytocin. And the the vantage point for oxytocin being present is that it it inhibits addiction. Um, uh, It it, it boosts creativity, and and it actually makes people more open to to new ideas. And oxytocin is one of those those chemical things that happen that can't – you just can't give it a blast once a year and then have it last. It has to be kind of a steady drip. (laughs) <laughs> this, 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 way, this way of working actually gives you that steady drip. So that when I come in the morning and I, I see my vice president has posted, has, put, has liked something that I did, you know, that's a hit for me. That's a little hit, oxytocin. And it makes me feel, you know, like I'm in a better place and I feel more alive and ready to work. So that and it took awesome. very little. Yep, that's why Facebook has done so well over the years. I want right. to give another quick tip on a non-digital version of getting a quick uh, hit from oxytocin which is they've discovered that if you, when you hug somebody, instead of sort of a, a passing bl- glance, you know, a, a blow, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, just grab, if yeah. you hug for six seconds, and of course pick your targets well, Lewis. If you yeah. hug for six seconds, 
there's a oxytocin release on both parties. And yeah. if you really just yeah. do it, you will notice it. So I would like everybody listening to this now to stop and hug someone for six seconds. And we'll there, see, there you go. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah Sinek in his thought uh, just says, you know, if, if I were to do a deal with you and then you reached your hand out to shake my hand and I refuse to shake your hand and said, no, no, it's okay. We're, this deal is good. He said, the fact that you didn't shake my hand, the fact that you didn't touch me actually will cause – things to happen, uh, fear and other things to happen. And so as an employee, if you're, if you're not aware of what's going on, if you can't look and see what are my leaders thinking, mm-hmm. um, Jenny Rometty, our CEO, she speaks to us through a community called Think Together that she created as a social community. She uses video blogs to tell us what she's thinking. We respond back to her. She responds back to us. It's an open kind of open dialogue and open communication. communication. So I feel as an employee that I'm very well in touch with what Jenny is doing and what the managers are doing at different levels. Um, I have the ability to kind of look into most departments in the organization. So if I'm wondering, gee, what is our marketing department doing? I can go to their community. I can look and see what they're talking about. Now, granted, you know, we do acquisitions and other things that are private communities, but most of what we do, we try to default to where people can actually see and see what's going on. And that gives us as employees a sense of being and a sense of, you know, of, of, of I guess, we, we know, we, we have a security, I guess, feel to, to, to what's going on. We understand things well. I mean, that's what causes people to be engaged and innovative is that those linkages and that sense of being, if you can't be in control, at least keep them informed. You know, feel like you're in on the <laughs> that's, that's That's pretty good. I may use that one sometime. Feel free. So, you know, we, <laughs> okay. As we, uh, one of the things I wanted everybody listening to know is that you're going to be at keynoting and going into depth on some of these ways to make this happen at our uh, annual knowledge management conference. Uh, it's going to be here in Houston on April 28th and 29th. So we're excited about it. And one of the things you're going to be talking about is how these massive computing systems like uh, cognitive computing systems like Watson and others really have, there's a way we can participate and get started. It's more affordable and accessible for those of us who live in the real world of quite limited budgets. So uh, you want to speak to that a minute? You know, how, what are some affordable ways of getting started without giving away all the cool stuff you're going to talk about at the conference? Yeah, just, just as a bit of a taste, the, 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 um, the, the fact that, that IBM has committed so much to being a cloud-based company now uh, the cloud services uh, platform and the ability to do that makes things so affordable for people. And Watson is a cloud service. So there's quite a bit that individuals can do to tap into that service. And, uh, in fact, over the past year or so, we've offered um, uh, you know, you know, developers, we've offered uh, people with, with you know, enterprising ideas to tap into Watson using Bluemix, which is a development tool that we have, um, allowing them to take their tools and actually tap into Watson and see how they can leverage this cognitive capability that's cloud-based. So, you know, as we look at at how we can, um, uh, you know, tap tap into these things again, it's, I think it's because of cloud, it's one of those things where a small company can have the same benefit as a large company. Um, if you want to get into things like um, your own corpus of knowledge and, and managing your own you know, your own areas of knowledge, then you then you start looking at investments. But if you want to look at the the, the, the data that's out there, then I think it's going to become quite um, quite interesting for us. Um, we've we've we of course we've recently you know, 
purchased uh, a, a number of data sources, one of them being the Weather Channel. Um, and one of the reasons we, we did the uh, you know, weather, weather channels for the data. And now Watson is going to have that data available. We're looking at how, um, you know, how people like farmers and, and, and people in third world countries and others can actually use Watson's cognitive capabilities to help suggest what they might be planting or when they might be planting this um, and being able to, to look at what information might be available to them that would help direct them to be you know, as profitable as they can possibly be in their own little endeavors. Um, so this is, we're truly, truly building this so that it's not just for the corporations, but it's down to the individual level. I can't believe I missed that. I'm a weather junkie, and I did not know that you guys had bought it. It makes perfect sense, both from making a, us a smarter planet, uh, which is good for everybody, yep. but I think it's also a great testimony to IBM's philosophy about that. So uh, on behalf of all the world's farmers and weather junkies, I thank you for that. <laughs> I, I was just at a conference, and this has a bit to do with knowledge management as well. I was just at a conference where we had one of our uh, one of our business partners present uh, a case where um, um, a, a, he, he points out this gentleman that happened to be in um, uh, in East Africa, in one of the East African countries, and he walks like a day's walk from his home with his with his goods and, and products that produce produce that he's done, and he sits by the side of a you know the one hard dirt road where the where what they call the brokers come by and these brokers come by in these trucks. And as the broker comes by in the truck, then he looks at the guy's produce and he says, you know, well, for this much grain I'm gonna you know, I'll go to market with it, but I'll I'll give you, you know, fifty cents or whatever it is. And and the farmer has no idea whether it's a good deal or a bad deal. He has there's no trust available to the broker because the brokers, you know, you know they're gonna buy it as, as cheaply as they can and make as much profit as they can when they get to the city. And and it just causes a breakdown in things. Because of cellular service in these in these countries, it's so emergent. These these farmers and these people have cell phones, and we've built some applications that allow them to do things like like check on what are the what are the costs and what are the prices. And actually, we put a layer in. This business partners put a layer in a brokerage service. So now the the the, the villager has a broker that works for them, and they get paid on a you know, on a percentage of what they sell it for. And so there's, you know, the information is power, you know, kind of thing. We've pushed now the power down to the lowest level. And that's available because we're just now making knowledge available in a broader way uh, down to the people who really need it. So Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, they, and that also gives them, they not only have the power of the marketplace at, at their own hands, but they actually have, uh, you know, they've eliminated in some ways a, a middleman. The incentives are all in the right direction. They and the broker have exactly the same incentive as opposed to a fixed pie where one loses and one wins. Right. It's, it's, story, it's stories like that and stories like from um, some of the children's hospitals we work with where they're actually using and leveraging um, the knowledge bases that they have in these cl- in these clinical areas with people in areas where they don't have access to that kind of knowledge, uh, being able to share um, you know, treatment studies and case studies and so forth um, is you know when you when you hear about saving children's lives and, and helping small farmers you know, uh, livelihood and helping their families to live, you know that stuff really gets me excited. And I don't think you're the only one, Lewis. Thank you for sharing that with us and and for joining us today and giving us a, a, a small taste of what we're going to get to hear about at the conference. I think people are very interested. We're going to make sure they're interested on how can, you know, how can we leverage this amazing technology 
if we don't have the budget as big as uh, uh, IBM to do it. And I think you've, you're going to bring some examples of that to us, and we will appreciate it a great deal. So it's going to be April 28th and 29th this year in Houston, Texas. And if you want to know more about Lewis, that's easy to do. He's got lots of websites and Twitter feeds, but you can just uh, Google Lewis Richardson, and I guarantee you you'll find some stuff, and you'll find some great stuff on our website, APQC, www.apqc.org. And to everyone listening or reading this, and especially to Lewis, thank you and have a great day. <laughs>